Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up, a dream day for the Dandy Don spells the end for Michael Beale's time at Ibrox. Hearts get stitched at Hamden. And two of the best voices in Scottish football join us on the show. Derek Ray and Rory Hamilton will be with us later. Yes, it's another wonderfully wacky week in Scottish football. And after our Michael Beale-esque tactics last time out, we've decided to change our mind again. Uh, yeah, it's back to basics with a front three, followed by a cheeky double substitution later on in the game. I'm your host, Andrew Slavin, and joining me is Digital Diva and Queen of the Screen. She is the senior producer at TNT Sports. Some call her the Isa of Scottish football. It's Laura Brannan. Hello, how are you? Hello, mate. And the Paisley punter living down under, Melbourne City's head of creative, Finlay Marks. How are you, pal? You're good, thanks. Yeah, not so bad. Touch of a cold, so apologies if my voice gets a bit croaky. But um, other than that, all good. <laughs> Buzzing to talk about the Fitba, obviously. Can't wait. Get us into it. Come on. <laughs> Someone's reeling after the weekend, I think, Laura. <laughs> Someone needs some help. Going to have a rant incoming. Straight into the funnies, by the way, because. Um, we will go into it in deeper detail, but Rangers' defeat to Aberdeen uh, was a sore one for Rangers fans, and it got a little bit sorer after the club decided to... I say decided. They do it after every match, I think. They auctioned their match shirts that were all signed, and a lot of Rangers fans decided to kick off, which led to the club actually pulling them out. So there's no money going to charity now, which is a real shame. And I think this is where it's only in Scottish football... Well. Let me rephrase that. Only Celtic and Rangers fans <laughs> would cause this sort of uproar. <laughs> but it was going to raise money. So I know. something is better than nothing. So ignore the noise and just raise the money. Yeah, exactly. Really strange decision. <laughs> These shots are tainted, Finley. Tainted with loss and grief <laughs> and remorse. If, if you did this after every disappointing Rangers result, like they'd never sell any shirts, do you know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> I th- I th- yeah, it was it was a bit of a weird one, I've got to say, but it, I, and we'll get into the game properly in a little bit. But it was quite interesting to see the reaction on Twitter to a lot of stuff, a lot of anger, but I think also a lot of Rangers fans just going down the "if you don't laugh, you'll cry" kind of thing. My absolute favorite tweet that I saw, or favorite X, whatever you call it now, um, mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend was was a guy that tweeted, "My dad said to me when Aberdeen scored their third goal." do you want to go now or do you want to wait and boo? And uh, he, he said that that was the only thing that made him laugh, laugh all day. My dad raised me to have some standards. I just thought that was quite nice. It's like the, the express reason that there would be anybody left at Ibrox at full time was just to boo. Um, I thought that was quite nice. Commitment to the cause either way. <laughs> that was like the Hibs fans uh, in Europe, wasn't it? I can't remember the team that they played now, but they lost to some absolute diddies. The and they were all at the team. end going, yeah, yeah. fucking boo! <laughs> <laughs> we're good at that. We're good at that in this country. The dogs bark and the caravan passes. The caravan keeps moving. The caravan keeps going. So the news um, before kind of the weekend, really, uh, the League Cup and the split of tickets was quite a hot topic, most so with Hearts fans, because Hearts fans are not, Laura, going to get a 50-50 split at Hamden against Rangers. Um, It will happen between Hibs and Aberdeen uh, the day before Hearts and Rangers, 
but hearts aren't going. I mean, what, what, why is this? This is an absurd story. So instead of splitting a stadium 50 50 and then saying if you don't sell X amount of tickets, they're going to go to the opposition, they've decided to do it the opposite way around. So they've said you can have this segment, and if you sell it out by a certain date, we'll give you a little bit more. Which is just, I, I don't understand why they've done it this way around. So it's okay for Hibs and Hearts, uh, Hibs and Aberdeen to get an equal split. But as soon as Celtic or Rangers are involved in the equation, suddenly it's a whole different story. What makes Rangers more important than any other of the three teams that are in the League Cup semi-finals? Well, I mean, the, the answer to that really is the SPFL would look at that and say, Rangers are a guaranteed ticket sale. Like there will be Rangers fans that, that take that up. Because I've seen the articles where it's said that on historical ticket sales with Hearts, they haven't taken all their allocation. Yeah, but they should at least be given the opportunity to. And then if they don't sell them, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the spirit sees over. What gets me is the statement said it was the inability to segregate Hamden's North Stand. Okay, now I'm sorry, but this is not the first time we've tried to segregate the North Stand. There's literally been a split in the North Stand before at previous games. Mm. At Old Firm games as well. They they segregate the between the west and the north and the north and the east. Now, the way they segregate that is because there's a railing down there and it helps them divide it easier because it's not just literally stewards standing there as a little barrier as well. But see in the middle of the North Stand, there's exactly the same barrier. There is a mm. fence breaking up the sand. You cannot walk from one end of the North Stand to the other end. So there's a natural segregation there. So there's yeah. absolute nonsense. That is not an excuse. And it's been... It's been segregated in the past. So that is just, if that was hard, I, I would be fighting that all day long because that is just a made up excuse. Well, it looks like they did fight it because they've, the, the club did come out and say, to assure fans, we requested and pushed for an even 50 50 split. Uh, but due to previous sales history, like I said, um, and the inability to segregate Hampton's North End, yeah, okay. So it's absolutely bonkers and seems a bit more of a money grab from the SPFL, which on one hand you could understand, but. It highlights the point of like, well, where's the SPFL finding like not treating one set of fans better than others? And now that's just that inequality. It's just it's not fair, Finn. Simple as that. It's not. And I, I, I agree with you, Laura. I think regardless of what the, the pragmatic approach is, and that seems to be what it is, they're going by historical cases where hearts and to be honest, most non-old firm teams don't tend to sell out a 50% split of the stadium. Um, you you do on the rare occasion. So I think when Hearts and Hibs, for example, have met in the semis and it's like it's a derby between the two sides, they do tend to sell out the full allocation, but not generally Hearts specifically by example. I think in like their last four semi-finals against Old Firm Opposition, I think it was three against Rangers and one against Celtic, they haven't sold out their, their allocation. But I, I agree with you that notwithstanding... There should, you should always go into it, I think, with a 50-50 split because to me that's still at least valuing or showing that you're trying to value fans ahead mm -hmm. of the practical element to it, which to them I'm sure is, is easier to, like you're saying, Andrew, sell the guaranteed tickets, the amount of tickets you know you're probably likely to sell, which is the way you would sell most other things like, you know, 
um, if, if somebody's booking a gig venue or whatever, you try and do it to the size of audience you think you're going to have and all that kind of stuff. Whereas you're due, you, with 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 football, you know the semi's going to be hammed in either way, so you have to kind of like cater to to what you've got. But I agree with you. I I think the starting point should always be fifty fifty. And if you don't sell out your allocation, at least you were given the option. Nobody can complain. And if you don't sell it out, give it to the other team. See if they want. Yeah. It. So I think that's the yeah. first way to do it. I suppose if the SPFL could sell the rights to the game a little bit better this money grab or arguing who should get more of seats or should it be 50 50 wouldn't be an issue because they could just um put a wee kind of tarp around some seats and, and separate fans my point being not a single premiership game being televised over the weekend our top flight was not televised guys it, it seems to be this kind of growing disharmony between the fans of scottish football clubs and the governing body that runs our game. How disappointed were you, Laura? I, I'd say this is an absolute farce. You've got the only games that you can actually watch this weekend were Sterling Albion against Cove Rangers on Alba, which to be fair, two each draw, not, not a bad game to be watching. And their game was Motherwell Celtic on a pay-per-view channel. There was no option through anyone's subscriptions that they've got all season long to televise any game regardless of the actual scoreline and stories that came out of it tell me in what circumstances how Rangers against Aberdeen isn't a a game that you would want to televise anyway at at any stage of the season I I don't understand the mentality well no sorry I do understand the mentality the mentality is that Sky have the option to go to a stadium four times over the course of a season and especially when it's Celtic and Rangers involved they want to save those Get the home games for when the old firm games are on and for the chance of a title clincher and the trophy presentation day. So it opens up absolutely no room for movement when any other team go to Ibrox or Celtic Park. So it's completely limited. You're never going to get any other game over the course of a season and you've completely limited yourself because how many times have we said it? The likes of Hearts going to Ibrox or Aberdeen going to Ibrox, you get a really good game out of it. But they're they're not interested. It would never have even been a conversation, and that's only just one game. There's a lot of games. Obviously, your Celtic, the Motherwell Celtic game, is just a perfect example. How much would they have wanted to have that game, that that advert for Scottish football on their channel, and they've just wondered it. Yeah, I think it's one of those where just when the next round of rights uh, come along, which is twenty twenty nine, or we'll. We don't know where we'll be in 2029. Um, that 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 has to be a negotiation. That has to be on the table where they they figure out a, something where it's just just broader and just expands a bit more access into the games. I know that Celtic and Rangers can be a little bit prickly at times to deal with when it comes to these contract negotiations, but it just there just needs to be an expansion on the access to Scottish football grounds. But I went. The SPFL are only there to protect what the clubs want. So this is where it's a bit of a disparity of who's really in charge. To be fair, although the contract obviously does run till about three decades' time, the contract does slightly change next season, where they can go to grounds five times Good over point. the course of the year, and they've also got a slight extension of number of games they can cover. Look, even before this, Sky can ask clubs if they can go again. So. In exceptional circumstances, if they run out of games at Ibrox and they end up having to cover the league trophy presentation at the end of the season, they could go back to them and say, can we 
can we do this? Now, the Rangers yeah. are completely within the right to say, well, actually, no, um, we're going to cash in on pay-per-view in that one. But, like, it's not it's not a blanket, no. They're not locked out. So it's just, when I mean, you look at the whole course of a, a weekend and you're thinking, well, okay, don't go to Ibrox then. Don't show Rangers against Aberdeen. Go and show Kamark against Spinning. Why not? Well, we all know why not. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> elsewhere, um, really cool story coming out of Italy, Bologna. Captain Lewis Ferguson having a great season. Um, Captain Bologna to a 3-0 victory over Empoli at the weekend. Um, I also got an assist. Again, pressing the Steve Clark button to say, play me. That's all he can do is just keep doing what he's doing. I, I think we'd said it before the last international break where we, where he's, I think it was just after he scored against Juventus. Um, and again, he's had a brilliant start to the season there. You could do a lot worse than playing a goal-scoring midfielder from Serie A um, who's now captaining his side and is an integral part of that Bologna side. So, yeah, I, I, it's, it's just brilliant to see. It, it's so refreshing to live in, in a period where, having grown up, occasionally you would get Scots going abroad if they get a mental payday in Turkey or, like, you know, Kevin Kyle goes to play in Cyprus for six months or something before he falls over. You know, like that that kind of stuff. That was that was the the level of it. But now we're actually seeing our players being desired as assets as players to play for in these elite leagues. Lewis Ferguson, we see a whole bunch of um, younger players getting signed up as teenagers, effectively as kids, by the likes of Bayern Munich and, and clubs down in England. And I would love to see more talent coming through in the Scottish game that's allowed to arise to this level. And we've got a lot of good young players coming through. But I think with the state that kind of world football is in at the moment, you do want your national players to be playing at the highest possible level to realise the most amount of their potential. And sadly, mm-hmm. that can't happen in Scotland. So if it can't happen in Scotland, where can it happen? Well, it's in the EPL, it's in the Bundesliga, it's in Serie A. And it's just amazing to see that our players are not just going there, but excelling. It's just it's brilliant to see. And I'm so, so proud and pleased to see Lewis Ferguson go in there and do that. And I just hope he's one of, of hundreds that will be doing it in, in seasons to come. Can he by any chance play at the left side of a back three? Because unfortunately, <laughs> it looks like Kieran Tierney is going to be out of the October international break now. Um, he went off injured with a hamstring injury at the weekend for Real Sociedad. Obviously, we don't know the extent of it yet. But um, when you hear the words Kieran Tierney and injury in the same sentence, it's uh, never going to be a short thing, and it's never going to be a good thing. So, um, yeah, that's not a great one for the game against Spain coming up when we need a point against them to qualify. So, um, yeah, get well soon, please. Please. <laughs> yeah, please. That would be pretty good. Um, if you are enjoying our dulcet tones, I'm certainly enjoying both of yours, guys. Um, but if you do like our vocal veracity, you can catch us on all the podcast platforms. Uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook. I always forget, Laura. We're TikTok as well. That's good. Instagram as well. Instagram. Yeah, I'm on that. That's good. Thank you very much as well for taking over the TikTok channel and doing all that stuff for us, Laura. Because it's just whenever it's Andrew and I, we're just like, we're also on John TikTok. Do young people like John TikTok? Such an old man. We're all about the TikToks. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a TikToker. Maybe I need you to have, get on. T- you have not lived. You need well, to. Do you know what? TikTok. What did you do during lockdown? Our old friend JJ Bull has said it. It changed his lo- his life. It says it's the greatest platform of all time. We're not sponsored by TikTok, but if we were, these are the kind of messages you'd be receiving. I cannot understand um, how in late 2023 you're still not giving TikTok a try. 
is mental. Listen, I get sent links on TikTok, and what I actually really hate about it is when you're not on it, it says like, oh, you're on it. You get to watch something once, and then the second time, it's like to watch it again, you have to sign up to TikTok. So, for goodness sake. I'll find that, Andrew. So, all right. Jesus. This is like some sort of cult <laughs> of young people. I'm on, The only cult I'm interested in is this one. So, join us. Join us each week. And if you want more content, subscribe now. Um, so yeah, tell your friends, tell your mom, Paul, auntie, uncle, your pal down the pub. That'd be class. Right, back to the football. And that is the full-time whistle. The booze ring around Ibrox Stadium. Ten-man Rangers one, Aberdeen three. Let's kick off our SPFL roundup with the only place to go, really, uh, Finn Ibrox. A pretty disastrous performance from Rangers. An excellent one for Aberdeen, to be fair. A 3-1 victory for them um, as Robson's revolution continues. What do you take about this? Because the news came through on Sunday night that Rangers have parted ways with Michael Beale. You always had the sense that the time was never going to be given to Michael Beale. Unlike, you know... One of his predecessors, Stephen Gerrard. Stephen Davis comes in, Finn. What's your take on this whole kind of fiasco? I don't know if it's necessarily fair to say that Beale's not had the time. I think the Rangers support have been pretty patient with them and the board have been quite patient. Um, As I've said a dozen times before, there's been no discernible signs of progress. In fact, I think Rangers have regressed, if that's possible, from the squad they had last season despite spending you know, was it about £15 million pounds on trying to refresh the squad, there doesn't seem to be any joined-up thinking. I think the overall points are really looking on... This is almost a year that, that Beale's survived, well, less than a year, nine months or something that he's been in charge. In that time, nothing's really changed. Every game that Rangers play, most of them, they seem to have about a million percent possession, but they can't create any clear-cut chances. Um, so the game at Ab- against Aberdeen at the weekend is a good example because yeah. um, they, they probably should have been up about 3-1 at half time with the chances they had. They still can't defend set pieces, um, which is where Aberdeen got a lot of joy and scored their opening goal. Almost every single goal, and this even goes back through the Gerrard time, there are multiple points of failure before every goal happens. So the brilliant um, summation of that is the third goal where there's about 27 chances to clear it out the box and Rangers don't yeah. do it and Aberdeen score a third goal. And I think an underlying cultural thing that's there, whether it's it's kind of from the top down uh, is for debate, but I think the vast majority of the Rangers squad and the players that have been there for a long time have now shown themselves beyond any reasonable doubt that they don't have the mental strength as a group to cope with the demands and expectations of, of the club and supporters. Um, I don't think Rangers are particularly direct when they attack. This goes back to the possession thing. They take so long to try and create chances. And you know, when you look at teams that are direct, Celtic are an obvious example. They're very direct. They score a lot of goals. Look at Yilmaz's goal against Livingston in the quarterfinal of the League Cup. Basically just picks the ball up and runs and scores <laughs> because it's direct. And Rangers don't do that often enough. But I think all, all, all of these things considered, it's three league defeats already inside seven games. Um, they're seven points off the top of the table. They're trailing a Celtic side that I don't think it's unfair to say are not a particularly vintage Celtic side. And genuinely, if they didn't have Jack Butland in goal, I think they could be even further behind. So I, I said at the start of the season, I think this season is not necessarily how good Celtic will be. 
in winning yeah. the league title. It's how much of a challenge Rangers can put up and they haven't done that so far. So I think it looks like even by the 1st of October, the 2nd of October, Celtic will sleepwalk to another title because there's no opposition to them. The key point for me over the weekend was the, the, the number of injuries that Rangers have with Cantwell, Raskin, Danilo, Roof as well. Um, it meant that all of Beal's new signings kind of had to come to the fore and they just haven't. Like the signings have been totally dreadful. Um, contrast to Aberdeen at the weekend where a lot of their new signings are starting to kind of pick up a little bit of momentum just in recent weeks. So that is one failure. But I remember speaking to, and I wonder what you think on this, Finn, because uh, before Beal came in at Rangers, I remember speaking to someone at Ibrooks uh, when Van Bronckhorst was in charge. I remember just bringing up Beal, you know, he's kind of, he was always well known to to kind of be a Rangers fan after he'd, even after he'd left Rangers with Steven Gerrard. And I, I, always, I almost posed the question, like, he's probably going to come back to Rangers, isn't he? And this, this person kind of said like, yeah, probably. And I was like, what makes him so good? And he said to me that when Beal was at Rangers under Steven Gerrard, he did everything. And a lot of Rangers fans picked up on that thinking, well, Beal is the, everyone thought Beal is the answer. Steven Gerrard is the figurehead, but Beal is the real tactician, the real guy who makes everything tick for Rangers. Now he's been given the job as manager and it's just never worked out. What's different? Is it just, is he's a better number two? I think it's genuinely that. I just think there's a difference between being a good coach and a good manager. And I think being the manager, being the figurehead requires a certain type of person. And I just don't know if that was Michael Beale or he certainly isn't yet. I think it was far too much too soon. Um, Ali McCoist is another good example of that. I think um, even looking at previous Rangers managers was a very successful coach under Walter Smith not a football manager, despite, you know, when you listen to him on commentary, very, very knowledgeable about the game, knows it inside out, but it's just, it's it's a very specific, it's a bit Liam Neeson here. It's a very particular <laughs> set of skills, you know, that you need to be a football manager, I think. And I don't know if Beale's got that. He felt like another project manager, a bit like Dyla or Kashinia or something like that. And I just think it's Point. not what Rangers needed then. And it's definitely not what they need now going forward. They need somebody who has that pedigree and experience and can lead like a manager, not like a good coach. Step forward, Stephen Davis. <laughs> what kind of struck me at the weekend as well was the way Bill was talking. It felt like a dead man walking after the game as well. Yeah, He'd kind of just conceded like that for it. weeks. Yeah, to be fair, it was a mix of when he was getting pressed on like the, the usual question of about your future, he goes, well, you'll just have to, we'll just have to wait and see. And it yeah. wasn't defending his place. There was the this sort sort of, kind of disrespectful line about well, we shouldn't be listening to teams like Aberdeen. Now, yes, that's probably a, a mentality that Rangers should have, of course. But to use those words, considering Aberdeen were just behind them in the table last season, mm-hmm. I think had a manager been in a better headspace, he would have worded that in a more sensible way. But it just kind of came across as well, we didn't do well enough. We shouldn't be listening to teams like that. It's just like it just seemed to be a bit disrespectful. So he had, it got that impression his head was gone. So Stephen Davis now uh, comes in and sorry, and go Finn. I was just going to say, I, just on that point, I think his uh, 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 not that I'm going to try and defend Michael Beale from what he said a lot of the time because I find it a bit odd. In in that particular quote, I think it's been slightly taken out of context because what he actually said is we shouldn't be losing at home by that scoreline to a team like Aberdeen, which I think is actually correct. I think 
and and this is purely just based on given the financial advantage and the expectations that Rangers have above every other team in Scottish football apart from one Rangers should be I think fairly expecting not to lose to any other team in Scotland by that scoreline I, I think that's fair but I agree with you I think there was it was probably something that um, it, it was very much indicative of somebody who was just a kind of a dead man walking by that point. But yeah, sorry, I'd, yeah, Stephen Davis coming in. Uh, it's, an, it's an interim thing. It's not going to be a long term. Yeah, no, thing, I, I can't not. see it either. I, I feel like this is sort of the time clubs kind of go round in circles in the sense of, right, we get in the, the newbie, we get in the old experienced one who's had connections to the club before, or we get in somebody completely new. And I kind of feel like this is the part of the circle we're at now is Rangers just need somebody almost like when Celtic got Ange Postacoglu, an experienced manager, but probably not really known around our kind of shores, and he well, comes they, in fresh. They, they had him, Van Bronckhorst, yeah. and then they didn't no, give that, him any money. An experienced manager who'd won, won something and an, ex, an ex-legend. But that ticked the box of the emotional connection to the club. True, and true, true, true. we've done that, we've seen that, and then we've almost kind of went back down the same route again with Beal as well and also mm-hmm. tick the inexperience box as well whereas I think this time it just needs to be a complete shift and it's it's like a safe pair of hands now let's not rock the boat in any way well the 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 new uh, I've just seen an article of uh, Stephen Davis actually talking about becoming Rangers manager in 2020 saying it would be one of the greatest honours so I do wonder I mean he's what 38 now 38. 37 so like you know, he's probably he came back to Rangers and they've probably been putting them through his coaching badges with the long term plan, thinking that, well, this is a good place to to learn and to see how things go at a big club. So, you know what? Good luck to him. Uh, what is it? It's probably bad news for St. Mirren. They're still unbeaten. <laughs> they play them next week. Limassol first. It will be his first game in charge. Yeah. Who knows what the manager bounce will be. Just quickly, Laura, Motherwell, a, a really cruel game for them. They were excellent again against one of the top two. So given that they lost 1-0 to Rangers, I think they felt like they had a point to prove playing Celtic and they were excellent. It went 1-0 to Celtic, then 1-1, delirium amongst the Motherwell support and then Celtic sucker punch once again. You actually text me saying, just wait, just wait. It's <laughs> Celtic will score a, a 90, a 89th minute winner or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, that was a nil nil. I didn't even have time to text you after the equaliser <laughs> to say, "Don't, it's, it's coming, it's coming." Yeah, that, this football's a cruel game. I think. Um, I feel like the last kind of three games in a row now, Motherwell have played really well and not got mm. anything against Rangers, St Mirren. Uh, they've had a hard run of games to be through to the top three teams in the league, but the the way in which this escalated is heartbreaking. You could see from the celebrations with Motherwell equalise. It looked like it was going to be the last kick of the ball. Uh, It was just, yeah. And I think when you see the level of celebrations from Celtic to be going that over the top over a a win against Motherwell, that shows you just how difficult a game that they were given. Even Brendan Rodgers admitted. Mm -hmm. It it felt like an achievement for them. It didn't just feel like they'd kind of, they deserved it and they stole it at the end and it was just a stud. I don't think it was, that wasn't the mentality at all. It was like, that was an achievement for them. A wee bit disappointed to see the the Celtic fans invade the players. Um, that was kind of my well. Wee... The Motherwell fans did that as well, pretty much. Okay, they didn't invade players, but to be fair, there was fans of the pitch at both 
goals. I can't remember if the first goal or not, but certainly the second and third one, there was definitely fans on. I think it's fine if you kind of overspill slightly from the, the barrier. I can kind of forgive that. But I think that when you start running towards players, um, I, I'm not a fan of that. And I think what happened was when Celtic scored the winner, all the stewards and police went to the, that corner, which is between the Motherwell fans and the Celtic fans to stop that kind of clash and invasion of fans. That yeah. there was nobody, no no steward, no police over at the other side of the, the net where the players were, and I I didn't really like that aspect of it. Um, as I say, I can I can excuse the overspilling slightly for emotions at a, at a tight ground like that. But let's just stay away. From it's the all right, Laura. You can excuse the Motherwell fans, but you won't excuse the Celtic <laughs> no, just, fans. Just, just stay away from the it. players. I, I think when you see like Celtic <laughs> players in the face of Liam Kelly, I think that's I, I don't like seeing that sort of thing. Like, sure. Enjoy it amongst yourselves, but don't involve the players in it. Another another great advert of uh, Scottish football wasn't televised. Um, although, sorry, it was on PPV, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, but what about Hearts? A, a pretty important win. I wouldn't say a good win, <laughs> but um, a pretty important win for them, Finn. But does it really take the pressure off of Stephen Naismith? Because it wasn't a great game. No, it, it wasn't a great game, but I, I do think it does. It's interesting looking at the, you know, comparing it to the Michael Beale thing or whatever, where the pressure just been mighty, mighty, mighty. And there's been a lot of pressure on Naismith in recent weeks. But what a difference a week can make, because I think the result that they got against Kelly in the League Cup with like that last minute winner, what a week, by the way, not just for Naismith, but Alex Lowry as well, um, mm-hmm. who came off the bench, I think 89 minutes, scores the winner in the 91st minute to put uh, Hearts into the semi-final. And then he um, he set up the, the the only goal of the game for for Forrest, a header by Forrest as well. I was like, you know, they can't lose from five that foot six. That, but my that kind of madness is going on. Yeah, but it was put on a plate by Larry. Beautiful delivery in. But I, I think, yeah, it's when you're not playing well. Sometimes you just need to grind out the results and try and give yourselves that platform to do it. And Hearts have definitely done that this week. So I, I, it's not the easiest play to go up to Ross County to play a, a really good result for them to to win up there, and hopefully their season will kick on from here now. Can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out alright and make sure that you get the f- results. Right. Well, there's nothing worse when you go out to watch a game of football with your mates, especially in a pub or wherever, uh, and the the place doesn't put the commentary on. Or even worse, you have to listen to someone else's commentary <laughs> on another match. It's an absolute honker. But uh, whether it's radio or telly, commentators are our eyes, ears and emotions in live sport. But how has the role changed over the years? How difficult is it to get into the industry and do that role? And what makes a good commentator? Who better to tell us than to absolute class arts of the game uh, in the commentary booth? We've got Derek Ray and we've got Rory Hamilton. How are you both? Very good, thank you. Thank you for uh, having us on. And, and very nice of you to say that. Usually when I go into a pub, they're delighted when I shut up. <laughs> <laughs> do you, well, there's my first question, Rory. Do you go in and commentate in the game in your head? <laughs> or out loud? Uh, absolutely not. No, that's uh, that's doubt. <laughs> Just to kick things off, um, it'd be good to get a, a, an idea, a brief background, shall we say, your careers so far. So, Rory, can you just start off by telling us, where did you start out? How did you get into media and how did that lead to getting into the commentary booth yeah so um when i was at uh university i used to come through from edinburgh to glasgow on a sunday afternoon i think it was uh to stv when they had their scott sport program with graham spears playing the piano and all that sort of thing um 
And I, I just used to, I mean, it was very, very basic. I used to put up their interviews on the website. It was, you know, learn a, learn a system for putting a file on a website. And that was basically it. But that was kind of my way into the industry. Eventually I got a job with them as a very junior assistant producer and then stayed in, in the sort of production side of things uh, from STV. Jim Delahunt kind of took me down to Satanta, which was just down the stairs, uh, which was that sort of got me awarded into the live side of broadcasting, which I really enjoyed that live element. Um, and then you, because there was a lot more going on on a, a Saturday with six commentators out at games, that's probably the first moment that you start to realise that commentary is actually a, a job and it's potentially somewhere down the line attainable because you're in the right place. Uh, but it really took until um, Satanta... Um, went by the wayside for me to to go freelance and worked with mainly Sky Sports but did did a lot of other um, projects as well and that was where I got my first sort of route into commentary but it was very much as uh, as sort of Ian Crocker's sidekick so when when there was a, a, a double header in the Scottish Cup then then they'd wheel me out a few times a season but um, <laughs> Derek going to um, to the States was probably actually that was how I got my, my break into being a full-time commentator. I felt that I could actually justify saying that was my job. That's true, because I remember um, Derek actually bumped into you at BT Sport mm-hmm. when you had announced you were leaving yeah. um, to go, to go. you know, I know you share your time between the US, but you do so much more now in the Bundesliga uh-huh. um, because you're so passionate, because uh, you studied in Germany as well, didn't you? But I did. How did how did your career start then, and how different do you think that was from Rory's? Well, just following on from what Rory said, I, I was personally delighted when I heard that Rory was going to be my successor at BT Sport because obviously I had no say in that. I simply decided that I was going to be leaving in 2017, and I'd hoped that Rory was the person they were going to approach, and that's how it turned out. So uh, it's always nice when when things like that do come to pass. But my story goes back a bit further. Obviously, I'm a bit older. So we're going back to the 1970s when I used to simply make tapes to myself of commentaries. And it was a passion I had as a young boy. And the tapes I would just keep, I've actually got a few of them back in Aberdeen. My father's kept a few of them. And from that point on, I sort of then gravitated towards going to the local park and commentating in my little sort of mini tape recorder and then to Pataudry, because I'm from Aberdeen, so that was the local team. I would do that for reserve team games, and then plucked up the courage to do it for first team games when I was about 12 or 13. And I would sit near the front of the South Stand, the same stand where the TV cameras are nowadays, and I'd get very strange looks. I became known as that silly little loon that, that sits and talks to himself for um, for two hours. <laughs> and didn't know at the time what I was actually doing was building a body of work. And I then took that body of work to hospital radio, and they gave me a chance when I was a teenager. And that was the era of Fergie and, you know, Willie Miller and Alec McLeish and Gordon Strachan and Aberdeen winning a European trophy. So, again, I was very lucky to, to be involved, albeit as an amateur at that time. And just kept doing it with hospital radio. And then when I went to university, also in Aberdeen, to study German, I decided that I was going to send my tapes to BBC Radio Scotland. Now, I should also say that earlier on, when I was about 12 or 13, I'd sent my 
tapes to the commentator who was my hero, David Francie. Here at Dens Park, there's still no scoring, so Hearts at the moment have this vital point that can win them the title. And how the crowd know it, but it's a corner to Dundee over on that far side. A high and curling ball is let it down by Brown, it's in the net, and a goal! A goal left by Albert Kidd! The corner headed down there by Brown! Across it came to Kidd, and he just whipped it into the Hearts net! The unthinkable has happened. With seven minutes of this game left for play, it's Dundee one, Hearts of Midlothian nil. Who was to me just Scottish football? You know, his voice represented Scottish football, and I, I wrote to him thinking I'll never hear back. But three weeks later, I got this beautiful handwritten letter, which I still have, and it sort of just made my my year to hear from my broadcasting hero. And he was very nice, very complimentary, gave me some tips, which I still use to this day, about how to use your voice and how to uh, to be prepared for a commentary and things like that. And thought nothing of it. But what has happened was um, when I sent my tape um, to, to, to the BBC, it ended up with David again. And David then gave it to the producer. And the producer said, oh, I um, quite like this, and invited me down to Glasgow. We had a chat. He said, I'd like to get you on the air sometime. Got me on the air for um, a reporter's gig at Pataudry. You know, in those days, we didn't do live commentary on every single game. It was updates. So I did the updates. You know, got that under my belt, um, thought they went fine. And then a couple of weeks after that, they suddenly needed a commentator on a game at Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock-Dumbarton, then in the second tier, the old first division. And I went down and did that. It was because literally all the other commentators, including David Francie, uh, were unavailable either through illness. In his case, it was actually a back injury. Sorry, a knee injury. Um, the, the, the Jerry McNee was unavailable. Roddy Forsyth was unavailable. So they got down the list to me. And they thought, okay, we'll, we'll give this young guy his chance. I was 19 at the time. So I did the game. And when you're 19, I think it's the same uh, being a footballer or in most walks of life. You're not actually as nervous as you are at, you know, 39, 49. I can say that from experience now. So I did the game, went back home. There was a message, called the BBC, called Charles Runsey, the senior producer. So I called Charles. He said, well done today. He said, um, would you like to do a second assignment for us? I said, I would love that. I said, when might that be? He said, well, how about this midweek? We'd like to send you to Wembley to do England against Scotland. And that was my second game on the air. And again, you, you, you can't expect that as a young broadcaster. You don't really expect that even as a, as a seasoned broadcaster. So my second game on the year was England-Scotland um, with John Gregg as my co-commentator. Uh, and from that point on, I was with the BBC for, for several years, learns you know tv during that time as well i was a radio commentator and proudly a radio commentator didn't really want to do tv at that time but got into tv and um again it's just about getting that lucky break you have to be a bit lucky and i was certainly very fortunate at a young age i love how um just listening to that there's fascinating derek actually had a plan <laughs> I, I required a company going bust and then actually the, the way that i got my very first commentary was um it was a rugby game and we were sitting in a meeting uh it was after uh satanta had, had gone and stv did a rugby program and uh and we were sitting after the first week patting ourselves on the back and colin davidson who derek will know well uh, was mm-hmm. the exec producer on that program and and he turned and he said look everyone's done really well on the program but our only criticism is that we've got 
a league that involves Welsh and Irish and Scottish teams, and we've got Welsh commentators and Irish commentators, but no Scottish voice. So I sort of joked, oh, well, I, I could do it. And Brilliant. everyone sort of laughed and, you know, there was nothing taken seriously. I wasn't meaning it seriously. I was commuting from my parents' house up in Speyside. So it was like a three and a half hour drive every week to come down to like sleep on people's floors because, you know, like gave up my flat in Glasgow and all that kind of thing. And was driving down to a game at Murrayfield that was Edinburgh against Connacht and Colin phoned me and said, you know, you, you made that joke in the meeting. And I was like, yeah. Well, you're doing the game tonight. <laughs> so I was oh, tonight. Oh, it was right. on the night. Okay, so it was like total change of mentality, and because now I'll very much like Derek. I'm a a bit of a stats guy, and I'll do my prep to the nth degree, no matter what what game it is, who it's for. Um, I just it's part of the preparation that you just want to get your head in the game by spending a couple of days looking over all the information on it. And that was very much uh, thrown in at the deep end um, kind of gig. So that, that's how my first game came. Not by Scotland, England. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always fascinated to see the the amount of work that has to go into preparation for for a game, regardless of, of the level of it's a World Cup final or you know if it's if it's a Scottish Cup first round game or whatever it is. I, and I know that there's a huge amount of prep. But one thing I, I really wanted to ask is. How much do you let your commentary kind of flow in the moment and how much of the, the things that you say are kind of pre-planned? Because I know that, you know, there's a lull in the game, you, you'll probably slip into something that a fact here or something you've pre-planned. Or, but if you know a big moment could happen or if it might happen, do you kind of try and pre-plan that in advance? Or, or do you just try and soak up the emotion and the atmosphere of the game and, and let that come out? I think the emotion and the atmosphere are the most important things. I will say to people, yeah, we do all this preparation. Rory's right. We spend days doing this preparation, but we do it in the knowledge that if we're lucky, we might use two or three percent of what we've actually prepared that day. You know, but you have to do the one hundred percent without knowing, mm -hmm. you know, which part of the the preparation you're actually going to make use of on air. But the passion and the emotion are are more important than that. What you want to be in a position to do is not miss something that's really important, you know. So, you know, what's not important is if somebody has scored the 10th goal of their career. But if somebody is about to score the 100th goal of their career for a club, you need to know that and you need to be ready for that. So you're not you're not scripting that as such, but you need to be to have in your head, oh, yeah, if he scores, then that is something I have to mention. But the passion and the emotion, that's more important because fans... In, in the stadium or on TV, they're not thinking about the numbers so much. They're, you know, supporting their team or not liking a, another team maybe or, or whatever. They have different motivations for watching a game. So it is that combination. Um, but I always think that everything is best when it's organic. If you try to over plan what you're going to say in the heat of the moment, it's going to sound over planned. But at the same time, there's that sort of happy medium between being prepared but not being scripted, you know, and, and I think that's what you always strive for because you, you're living in the moment and you could, you know, and, and I know people who prepare a lot of lines during games and they'll do it as a fail safe. You know, I, I've got a very good friend who's in commentary who says, I, I always prepare a line because, um, you know, I just want to have it there in my head uh, in case it does happen. But then when it does happen, you just don't use it. Or he, he, he would say, I probably never use it or, 1% of the time would use it. 
So we're all a little bit different in that sense. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, the live commentary should always be live commentary and it should be what you're feeling at that time. And a lot of it comes from experience, from having done it for a long time, knowing how you react. The funny thing is that for all that you, you know, fans think commentators, you know, should lose it and should shout and scream. I will say we actually shouldn't shout and scream. As a commentator, if we were to shout and scream as though we were in a pub, it wouldn't sound very good on the air. So so there's a certain skill to, to knowing how to use your voice in a big moment. You're projecting more than you are shouting and screaming. And, you know, sometimes we're happier with the end result than we are at other times. You know, I'm sure Rory will agree with me. Sometimes you, you've commentated on a big moment and you've thought that went well and you hear it back and you sort of go, ah, I could have done that a bit better. Or conversely, sometimes you think, I didn't quite do that justice. And then you listen back and you think, oh, actually, that was fine. So you never quite know. I don't know what, what you think about that, Rory. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, what you're not going to get too much of on this podcast is a big <laughs> contrast of uh, of mine and Derek's approaches because <laughs> I was fortunate enough to learn from Derek um, and, and Ian Crocker were really good mentors for me coming up whenever I had a piece of advice to ask, a conversation to have, then they were always there for me. So a lot of my style of commentary comes from them. So unsurprisingly, I completely agree with, with Derek. <laughs> I, I, I'm not one that will script these, certainly these big live moments. I think there are elements that, that I will script things like teams emerging onto the pitch. I like to get that right. I won't script mm -hmm. it probably until half an hour, 20 minutes before kickoff because I want to get myself into the moment uh, to feel mm. what the stadium's like, the walk up to the ground, even even the city the, the days before. So those bits I'll I'll script, but but live things not. I'll I'll come back to it as well though. Um what I do quite like to do, I'm a big outdoors guy. I love being in the mountains and one of the things that I do any big game, I like to get myself into the hills and just by myself or with the dog. And it's not to script things, but all I'll do is think about that big game that's coming up and it's to prepare yourself for what might happen. And, and I play through endless eventualities in that game. None of them will happen. I know that, but it just prepares your mind for, you know, what if John McGinn scores in the 96th minute to qualify Scotland for the Euros? Things like that. You've already worked through that in your mind and how you might feel so rather than just being in total shock, and obviously a moment like that, you would be so emotional anyway, and you might just lose the plot being so excited, that I think that that's a, an opportunity to just, just set yourself up for for those big moments. Prepare yourself mentally over my career. There, there have been a few that, that throughout games, little phrases have maybe come to me, and I might have jotted a couple of words down on the side of my paper, thinking, well, I'll never use them, but because it's maybe come to you at some point during the game, you're like, oh, I don't actually want to lose that. So one of them, um, which is one that I often get asked about um, by Celtic fans, was their victory over Lazio, Lazio. which ironically yeah. is the game that I'm doing on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to that, but <laughs> I can't use the same light again. So it was the one about the Glaswegian Coliseum. Few down in that corner are thinking about leaving, but just waiting for this moment because it's Christopher Julian! to win it for Celtic and the Glaswegian Coliseum erupts 
Celtic have come from one down to lead in the 89th minute. Christopher Julian, the six foot five hero. About, I don't know, 15 minutes before the end, I scribbled Coliseum and Glasgow down on the side of my my notes because I was like, I mean, this this place is a real Coliseum of Glaswegian football. And it, but it wasn't until the goal actually went in that there was a trigger in your mind that Glaswegian Coliseum rolls off the tongue a little bit better than Glasgow Coliseum. But you can only do that sort of thing if it's a last kick of the ball kind of kind of game. Those are the ones that you have to you have to commit on because the result is pretty certain. So they're not things I I don't think that you can uh, you can just fully prepare for and and write line after line in the hope that. That it happens, you, you you very occasionally, maybe a handful of times, Derek will do much better. Handful of times in your career that you maybe get that little poetic gem that just just works a treat. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going. Uh, that is what I was going to ask. Was how much you've played it out in your mind because you're going to have that hopefully that killer line of when we do actually clinch qualification, <laughs> um, which is going to be historic. And that's what I was going to ask you. You can answer that, but what I also want to know is. Derek, you'd mentioned having that um, resilience to kind of hold yourself, not get caught up in mm. emotion. But how much do you enjoy if your co-commentator gets carried away? And I'm thinking, obviously, the, the most recent one being the Norway game with Mikey Stewart screaming over you, Rory. Do Scotland have something else up their sleeve here? McTominay, if Dykes can get the flick on here, it's John McGinn, it's Dykes, it's McGinn! Scotland have picked their moment to strike. Unbelievable scenes in the Ullaval. <laughs> they all came to see Holland, but it's Scotland who are putting on a show in the final minutes in Oslo. I personally, I, I like that because it almost feels like there's a kind of fan element to it, but I understand that can only really happen in certain games, like Scotland, for example. How much do you enjoy that sort of emotion coming right around you? Yeah, I thought that was a great moment from Michael because it grasped the the feeling of everyone watching it. And you're right, you, you, there probably are only a few games where you can do that and it's on games for the national team because pretty much your entire audience is, is wanting the same outcome. But also that was a game where you, you couldn't really, for 89 minutes, you couldn't see that happening. It was just one of those games that, threw something at you that uh, you couldn't really predict or envisage beforehand and I mean I'd, I uh, I said to so I've just got it over here we've just moved house and then um, one of the guys on Twitter Fitma tweets did a did a drawing for that and he sent it to me and I said to him I mean, it's probably there's nothing textbook about my commentary from that it, it's not one that I would necessarily give advice on or put on my showreel but it's one that I absolutely love not because of the words that I say but it's just because it's pure emotion and sometimes you just have to let yourself go uh, and and that was one of those. Yeah if I could maybe chat about that subject generally it's, it's a good subject Laura because I can tell you this as a breed most commentators actually hate it when the co-commentator comes in and shouts loudly because if you think about it it's almost like I think and again, this sounds very precious, but it's like 
you know, it's like somebody is sort of um, uh, trampling on the painting that you've just <laughs> you've just spent two hours trying to put together. I mean, again, we understand why it happens, but I think it should only happen in a very specific situation like that. You know, if it's happening in every game, then I think a producer would normally say to the co-commentator, no, you know, just wait because you'll get your moment. And that's the thing is that the co-commentator has his or her moment come the replays to analyze and and that is their primary function. So the commentator um, ideally would come up with a line that matches the pictures. And I think that's the important thing. And I, I do think sometimes we get away from that a little bit in modern TV. We've sort of forgotten a bit that it's a visual medium. And as commentators, if we're at our best, this is just my opinion, but if we're at our best, our words should never overpower the pictures. Um, radio is different because radio is the theatre of the mind. And in radio, mm. you are creating the pictures for the person listening. But people on TV can see it. So the words should be subtle enough that they enhance the picture. It's quite difficult to get that right a lot of the time. And you are going on pure emotion. But that's when I said earlier, you have to be a little bit disciplined. You have to sometimes hold yourself back and not just make it sort of, you know, verbiage and words for the sake of words should be words that are subtly enriching the picture and striking that balance difficult <laughs> is is it quite an enjoyable thing to have the opportunity to watch back brilliant moments whether it's with scotland or like um you know Rory, you've covered a lot of iconic nights in in the recent history of of uh, rangers and celtic in, in european matches to know that you're kind of like you're part of people's memories from those moments and and even something that kind of transcends that a little from your side Derek because obviously a, a whole generation that might not have heard you commentate live on games will know your voice very distinctly from being the voice of the the FIFA and EAFC games now going forward is that is that quite a nice thing that you you are part of people's memories of certain moments and occasions and matches or you know even for people that are maybe not even massive um, football fans, but get into the sport through playing games like FIFA or whatever, you're, you're the person that they will associate that memory with. Oh, undoubtedly, it's a lovely thing. I mean, it really is. It, it's a beautiful thing when somebody, and in social media, people have access to you now that maybe they didn't in a way that they didn't several years ago. But it, it's it's a really touching thing if somebody says, and you know, I heard somebody recently who, who said, you know, for the last few years, you've been the voice of my upbringing. A look at Neymar, a true entertainer, whether for club or country. Lee Dixon, what do you expect to see from him? Well, I'm so pleased I've retired, I know that. I wouldn't like to mark Neymar. He goes left, he goes right, he turns you in circles. Absolute genius. I'll tell you what, he's wishing you hadn't retired. There's no need for that. <laughs> You've been the voice of, um, of my playing this video game that is iconic around the world, in my case. And, you know, you're right. There are a lot of people who who only know a commentator through the video game, you know, and and it's it's a different <laughs> audience. It's a much younger audience, and the same for for a big match. And if you've done a big match justice, hopefully you have, and you sort of become a little bit synonymous with that match because people remember uh, watching it. You know, one one of the the proudest things I have from my time, my second spell working in Scotland between uh, two thousand and nine and twenty seventeen, was you know Hearts fans still come to me and and talk about the commentary we we had on hearts hibs when hearts were um already going down but uh, everybody knew they were going down but it looked as though they were going to go down in a derby against hibs at tynecastle 
Uh, it turned out that Hibs also got relegated that same season. But, you know, Hibs fans were sort of gloating a little bit and they were going to send Hearts down. And um, Hearts uh, turned the tables on them. And um, that's when I'm, you know, very proud of... We're talking earlier, Rory was talking about lines that just come to you in a game. For some reason, Gary McAllister, my co-com, and I have been talking about Hearts being defiant and simply not letting it happen at their place. And again, I don't know where it came from. I had not planned it, but got a great shot of Gary Locke, the Hearts manager, when they made it 2-0 through Billy King right at the end of the game. Gary Locke going absolutely mental and um, shouting loudly. And and I I think I said, um, uh, not on this patch of Edinburgh land, not in a derby, no relegation today. Nicholson with the pass at night. Ball for Billy King. He can finish it. And I, I, since then, every year when that um, clip comes out, you know, to because nowadays people send clips out when it was four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, I get a you know whole host of, of of lovely responses from Hearts fans who say that that is to me part of the the whole experience of that day, which is very special for Hearts fans because they avoided relegation uh, on a day when they really wanted to avoid relegation. Hibs didn't send them down, so um, yeah, if you can if you can do that, and as I say. If you can just do it justice, um, I think that's all you you strive for. But oh, of course, it's nice when when people are nice to you because let's face it, as commentators, we're very much in the firing line, and people aren't always nice to us. <laughs> I I actually had a really um, similar one uh, in Rangers' recent run into the Europa League final when they won in Dortmund, and at half time, uh, Daryl Curry's sign off into the break was Rangers are in dreamland in Germany. So well, that's a good line, but I obviously can't use that again. But I was like, but I can do better. <laughs> so, so the next goal was Dreamland and Deutschland. Dortmund have now conceded 17 goals in the last eight games. Kent sets it up for Lundstrom! Oh, what a goal! Oh, what a goal that is! From John Lundstrom! Dortmund are in the eye of a Rangers storm right now! They're in Dreamland and Deutschland! So I actually, actually stole the line from Daryl. <laughs> um, well done. I was I was going to bring that one up purely just because I because I'm a Rangers fan and I live out in Melbourne. We moved out to Melbourne April 2022, so it was like right in the midst of the run to the Europa League final. So I, I was having to get used to getting up at like three in the morning to watch the games. And what was always brilliant was your commentary, kind of you know, Ibrox is bouncing or dreamland in Deutschland or whatever all these brilliant iconic moments that with every game I'm kind of sitting there in the dark <laughs> uh, with my headphones on on the couch kind of just at four in the morning being like uh, I, I feel I've, I'm so far away from all of this happening but I feel like it's happening right in front of me because you totally captured like that that emotion in the sense of you know having been at iBooks and European, I know what it feels like, and it felt like that coming through on the TV, which was a wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, I'd, I was very pleased that you were kind of uh, that you were delivering lines like that through all these icon- iconic moments happening. I think that's why, um, and I, I always try. Obviously, you get budget restrictions for a lot of things, and, and Derek will be well aware of this throughout his career. I always want to be at the ground, no matter what it is. I, I would pay my way to. Don't tell them. To get there, <laughs> um, but I always want to be at the ground. It's it's never quite 
the same when not. So I think, yeah, just trying to... I remember those games when, I mean, I brought to really was absolutely bouncing. The Leipzig game is like a, something I've never seen before anywhere. Time is up. The emotion that night was quite incredible. I mean, it, it's one of those ones when you get home, it takes you hours to get to sleep because your mind's just trying to process everything that you've just taken in for, you know, two, three hours of your life and you can't, can't really work it out. But it's it's the nicest thing when people come to you and say, and I get I get a fair amount from, from Rangers fans for, for that run. The first time I got it was from, I think, from Celtics when in Rome against Lazio and a lot of Celtic fans that night who had been at the game messaged me and said oh you know we've just been playing your your commentary all night since we got in because they didn't hear it live so they, they wanted to hear it and um, so that would that was really nice so you know I, I've not done it for as many years but those big European nights are, are really when I think that you can kind of come into your own um, but I was when you're when Derek was talking about doing his um, his, his computer commentary I'm almost a little bit starstruck here because I had a layover in, in Paris airport coming back from Nice on Monday. There was over for the rugby and they've got all the PS5 set up. So I, I spent eight hours <laughs> listening to Derek. <laughs> oh, no way. I, for my flight. I, I, I pity Rory's ears on the basis of that. <laughs> eight hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Eight hours after a lot less than that sleep after the Scotland Tonga game, I must add. <laughs> Amazing. I still like the mental picture that I have of Finn three in the morning watching Rangers run to the Europe, European Cup final, trying not to scream in celebration. Otherwise, the neighbours will phone the police thinking something's happened. How do you get away with that? <laughs> Big men are up from the back. El Mahani right foot. Whips it. Oh, jeezy peeps, man. Elsewhere in Scottish football, um, we don't have much time, do we, guys? Uh, so I'll just quickly point out the fact that Duncan Ferguson got off to a spectacular start uh, at Inverness, Caledonian Thistle against Arbroath. I, I, squeaky bum time a little bit, though. I think they got they were 3 0 up uh, and it finished 3 2. But, you know, one of those. We'll see what happens. But it's a good start for Inverness and uh, Duncan Ferguson. So good luck to him. I'm saying good luck because I don't want him to batter me. But there you go. Uh, that's it. Another podcast is done. Another week in the bag. Thanks to Derek and Rory for giving us their time to talk to us. It's really, really good to hear their industry insights. But it's about time to say, go and listen to something else now. Isn't that right, Laura? It is indeed. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> see you next week. Bye.